0: Yeah, fuckers! Glad that you're here again. And let's get into some deeper research today. So, friends, why is it so hard to live with PTSD? The answer really comes down to fear. Continual, internal and externally directed fear. Fear of self, fear of others, fear of all sorts of life events that we've learned to avoid. And living under that fear without being influenced by it? Not such an easy thing. Noting that you are freaked out, but not letting a trauma brain run away with it? Hmm. Goes against our wiring. We're designed to pay attention to the bad, and that system is amped up for us with complex PTSD because we've learned to be extra vigilant in life to see many things as being negative or potentially leading to negative events, to be extra sensitive in preparation for those dangers in a way that starts making everything seem pretty fucking dangerous. We already know. But this is especially the case, as we're often saying, when you have a head full of domestic relational abuse and neglect that's what keys us up to be terrified of others and a whole host of other normal daily happenings, including all manner of home-based events. This is how we end up on edge 24 seven, greatly impacted by life and reacting to things that others can't seemingly comprehend. Our brains are sensitized to things that hurt us in the past, and our pasts are filled with other humans and otherwise standard human activities fucking us right up. So now we're super fine-tuned to everything. This ongoing, easily triggerable fear obviously speaks a lot to having chronic, traditionally untreated trauma You can't break trauma activation patterns because so many things are still sending your brain and nervous system to the moon. That means you can't break out of those trauma-learned programs to rewire the brain. And this past year, we learned a good deal about the neurological relay system that creates many of these lifelong disturbances. Namely, fear responses that shatter our memory systems and play tricks on us, and the resulting self-limitations that crop up when we are frightened into shutting down. So, at a certain point this year, I had a prevailing question. Why does it feel like self-stagnation is a daily program that shows up out of nowhere, and how does it seem to be connected to external conditions triggering the system that I'm not exactly privy to? So we did some research and started learning about the peculiarities of the DMN, DAMN, the default mode network, which exists in our brains. It's a central track of connected compartments that's supposed to be activated by default as we go through our daily lives. We all have it, but of course, trauma tweaks our DMN so it does not work the same way as those without PTSD. Why wouldn't it? Now, let's talk about why that matters this time. The dam contains memory hubs that correspond with these episodic sensory memories and autobiographical recollections of self as a whole. Now, these are two different compartments that oversee these important components of our memories. We need to remember exact events that happen to us in vivid detail so we can avoid those similar situations, but we also need to have a cumulative story about everything we've seen to have a sense of self, a self-concept. So we have to separate sections of the brain responsible for each Specialized action and both of which are strung together by the DMN. The DAM also contains our somatic awareness of self or the ability to recognize, feel, and orient our own bodies in space, which, as you would guess, is negatively impacted by trauma. We spend so much time disassociating during traumatic events that we often lose our sense of having a body at all. Or we have shamed ourselves so thoroughly for the actions carried out by that body that we just don't want to know that it still exists. I know that this has cleared up a few questions I've had about forgetting that I am a physical, observable being. How about you? Well... The differences between traumatized dams and non-traumatized dams get a lot more damning, even, than losing our own body and space. Now, for those of us with a heavy trauma background, apparently we have less access to our autobiographical recollection center when we're in a baseline, relaxed condition thanks to the dam it's less reactive under regular non-distressed standards than it is for supposedly non-traumatized folks. This means at a steady state, we are less aware of our lifetimes of existence, our perspectives, and personal histories than other folks are. You can already probably see how this continues to impact you. We often talk about having this splintered slash lost sense of self, and obviously that's partially born from this inability to remember our lives holistically. We forget who and where we've been. We feel like we exist in fragmented moments rather than cohesively across a singular timeline. We lose our own perspectives. You may have heard about it. All of this stops us from embodying ourselves every day. We don't act like the respectable adults who we are, because we honestly forget that's the case when our memories go missing. And this is only further troublesome because of the other memory compartment, the episodic sensory memory section of the brain, which rather than being down-regulated like its counterpart, is actually hyperactivated in our heads. And that's particularly true when we're under distress. We have a stronger connection to this visceral memory center during those times, or it's more active in fMRIs, anyways, which has a lot of implications and sp- explains many things for us. Specifically, that we'll be re experiencing our visceral sensory. Memories, which under the distressing conditions that especially light up this compartment, are often going to contain negative, disturbing, traumatic events. And we know that we hold traumatic memories already differently in our brains, in this semi settled but semi unresolved state that contains a lot of perceptual information. You hold a lot of details about what you saw, smelled, felt, tasted, and heard. Because the memory hasn't been condensed and processed fully. So when we're tossed backwards into one of these episodic visceral memories with no connection to our autobiographical recall, we are in a very, very real way reliving the events. We're flooded with the same sensory information that seems to be as real and relevant today as it was 10 or 50 years ago. And in that state, unaware of our own lives and physical bodies in modern day, we're rather untethered from reality, right? We can't necessarily bring ourselves out of that sensory memory recollection so much as we just relive it. And even worse, we expand upon it. Whatever is happening in the modern day will elaborate upon the original memory so that it becomes a massive file of shit information, all of which seems to be happening in the here and now. This is really critical to understand because, refer to the beginning of this episode, with a long history of trauma in very general environments and normal human situations, we're easily triggered into a fearful or distressed state by, like, Anything. (laughs) Relationships, home environments, work environments, all public and private places, they're all fodder for complex trauma brains that can spark our fear. And once we're fearful, our memories get fucked. And uh, get ready for this. It gets worse. Our DAM is also able to respond to these events at sensory sub threshold levels. So we don't necessarily consciously know what's sending fear responses through our brains and veins. We're just thrown into a subtle or very blatant fear response. And that fear response subsequently hands us over to the visceral, disjointed memory center where we're terrorized by things that we want to forget. We learn to be on the ready, for instance, for energy changes in a social space We learned to keep ourselves safe by anticipating what others are thinking and feeling. So we might detect some subtle change in vibe that our brain picks up through its hypervigilant fear guard posts, but we might not consciously be aware of that change of tone or sense of danger. But it doesn't fucking matter because our brain will already have activated a memory or a string of memories of similar times or feelings that... Has been problematic or had a similar negative result or energy about it. And then we're just swimming in those old recollections again, as if they are happening here and now, all without ever knowing what caused that change, leaving us instead with this sense of having an unpredictable, random brain and body that we learn to fear themselves. Creating a new penchant for disassociation and distraction. And from that vantage point, not knowing why our brain keeps tossing us into disjointed, upsetting memory systems, we have no control over our lives, right? We can't act in our own best interest. We can't even behave in ways that we want to because we'll be reacting to trauma patterns and fear not engaging our full brains. Consider that when we're thrown into reliving survival experiences, it naturally limits the available behaviors that we have. Executive functioning, not so much. Emotional responses, hell yeah or hell nah, depending on which way you swing. Old emotional behavioral patterns, no. There's... There's no way to really fend them off. They'll be back. There's no doubt. This has the effect of continually limiting how we can act and who we can be, especially if we're in a situation that's routinely activating the damn fearfully. We then have limited control over what actions we can take, what thoughts we can think, what feelings we can have. And all of those things make us feel. Like limited versions of ourselves, like the versions we can't fully recollect, like we can't act in our own best intentions, like we can't follow through on our plans or decisions that we've already made, and we might have absolutely no idea why, which can only spawn further self condemnation and limitation. But uh, that's talk for another episode. So Let's leave you here today with a lot to think about concerning the DMN, damn, in your own life, the hyperactive threat detection center, wonky autobiographical memory compartment, powerful sensory memory section, and faulty somatic awareness depot. Altogether, I think there's a lot to reframe from your past and present if you want to give this episode a re-listen and reflect on the DMN. But I hope it's helped to explain a few things about your maybe chronically freaked out, fragmented, and uncontrollable feeling life so far. And I'm looking forward to meeting back here next time when we'll talk about what comes from all of these neurological events, lifetimes of self-limitation. Till then, you know the drill. Hail yourself. Hail your damn. It's doing its goddamn best to just keep you alive. Hail Archie. That's how I felt about taking care of him a lot of the time, too. And cheers, y'all. Bye. Hey, motherfucker. If these shows are moving a little too fast for you and you could use to review and reflect on what's been said here, just hit up t-mfrs.com or traumatizedmotherfuckers.com to find the full blogged transcript version of every post. That way you can go back and do a little further reflection on any of the points that may have really gotten to your trauma core. While you're there, you can subscribe so that every new blog post goes straight to your inbox and you stay up to date on the latest motherfucking news from this support community. I'll see you there, and thanks again for being a part of this project. Hail yourself, and cheers, y'all. Bye.